0: Welcome to the Twinkle Talks EYFS podcast. Working in the early years is busy, funny, messy, and exhausting. Join me, Shana, and the rest of the Twinkle EYFS team as we talk honestly about our experiences as practitioners, teachers, and professional nappy changers Whether you're listening to increase your CPD hours or catching up on our antics whilst driving home from work, Twinkle EYFS will share everything you need to know about all things early years. Hello wonderful listeners, it's great to be with you again. Welcome to another episode of Twinkle Talks EYFS and we've got quite an interesting topic to talk about today Uh, but before we get there it's time for another round of Praise a Practitioner where lots of you have been getting in touch to nominate your colleagues to celebrate the amazing things that they do to help us in our job. So let's get started. This week we'd like to celebrate some of you! So first up is Lauren Anne-Marie and we'd like to give a big shout out to you because she did an amazing bee activity with her children this week. She says, I found an amazing big bumblebee and after a week of learning about bees and their importance it was wonderful for the children to see up close. We gave it some sugar water, popped it on a flower and watched it fly away happily. Well done for bringing your children such an amazing experience Lauren! Next up, we have Holly Wardby. It's her birthday! And all the children she cared for were amazing. She says it really made her day a good one. Plus, I was very lucky to receive some amazing little gifts from them. Happy birthday, Holly. And last but certainly not least, we'd like to celebrate Kim Scott and her team because she got through Austed. Well done, Kim and team. I'm sure you did amazing. That's it for this week's Praiser Practitioner. Tune in next time to celebrate more of your amazing colleagues. Amazing, guys. Well done, everybody, for being such a great support to each other. It's kind of what makes early years work, isn't it? Um, So it was lovely to hear those super shout-outs. And now on to our main event. So... Over the past couple of weeks, I have been engaging in conversations with you guys and also experts and also going on some training and research myself about the topic of dyslexia. So there's a really kind of shocking statistic from the NHS where one in 10 people in the UK will suffer with some form of dyslexia. And I feel like we're really good as practitioners in supporting our children and to spot the early signs. But one thing that isn't really talked about as much is what about the early years practitioners themselves? It could be in a preschool, a private nursery, a nursery attached to a school. And depending on your staff amount, that means at least one person in your setting as a practitioner has dyslexia or a form of it. And what I really wanted to explore was, well, what support is there for them and how do we support each other as colleagues when they have difficulties and challenges that forms of dyslexia bring? So we're going to get into those kind of things today, but first let's have a look at what dyslexia actually means. So I've had a good look at a couple of things online um, on the NHS and also people's experiences and research as well and we'll first look at the definition of dyslexia. Now dyslexia is actually a spectrum disorder which means that there is a range of symptoms and how it can manifest in different people. So people with dyslexia commonly have difficulty with some or all of phonological awareness, verbal memory, rapid serial naming, and verbal processing speed. But that doesn't mean that they might not have other symptoms as well. I think a common misconception is, especially from a lot of people that I've been speaking to, is that dyslexia means that they're stupid. That's what people with dyslexia have fed back to me, that they feel like, they feel stupid. And that is absolutely not the case. Okay, guys, Um, dyslexia has no link to intelligence. Okay. So if you are one of the one in 10 that have a form of dyslexia, I'm here to tell you, you are not stupid. It's is actually as well also one of the most common learning difficulties in the UK okay so you're not alone you're not alone and this is really why I wanted to do an episode on it because it affects so many of us but also the people around them as well and we can all do something to to help each other so I thought this was really important to discuss I also had a look at a website called pathos-dyslexia.org. I'll put a link in the episode description so you can have a look yourself. And it says that dyslexia is a combination of abilities and difficulties. The difficulties affect the learning process in aspects of literacy and sometimes numeracy. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard of dyscalculia, dyspraxia, things like that coping with required reading is generally seen as the biggest challenge at higher education level, not because of the content, but partly due to the difficulty in skimming and scanning written material, you know, in higher education, you have to do a lot of research and reading papers and doing big dissertations. And it's actually the skimming and scanning part that is quite challenging for people with a form of dyslexia. At this point, you might be thinking, hang on a minute, Shana, why are you talking about higher education? We're early years practitioners. Um, We're doing the early years curriculum. Yes. However, In order to be early years practitioners, a lot of us have to go into higher education, don't we? We have to get certain qualifications. And from speaking to a lot of people who have dyslexia, one of the massive barriers they have felt in maybe getting um, teaching qualifications, maybe getting NVQ certificates or childcare certificates, is that they fear going into higher education because they feel their dyslexia is going to hold them back and it means that they're going to fail in higher education. So this is also really important um, to address as well. It's also a real struggle for lots of people with a form of dyslexia to express ideas clearly in a written format. So they have amazing ideas, they can articulate them when um, talking to someone, but putting it down on paper is actually a completely different skill altogether. So this might be something to watch out for. Other things that might be challenging is working memory, speed of processing, sequencing, auditory and or visual perception, spoken language and motor skills. So there is quite a lot of different markers and that's why it makes it a spectrum. Some people with dyslexia might have lots of these challenges, some might have not as many, but they're all kind of in the same field. Now, it says here visual, spatial skills, creative thinking, and intuitive understanding are less likely to be impaired and actually may be outstanding. So, there you go. And the DFE's working group on SPLD in higher education do say that enabling or assistive technology is often found to be beneficial. So, I have seen that perhaps in higher education, there may be students with a diagnosis that given a laptop to do writing rather than um, handwritten skills because sometimes technology um, can help them. So as you can see dyslexia is a really kind of complex learning disability and it's got such a wide range of symptoms and challenges, difficulties And they differ from person to person. And I think that we try our best, don't we, to really help our children, even in early years, to spot those early signs and to give the children support. But what about the educators? What about teachers? Certainly, from my experience, I do not have a formal diagnosis of dyslexia. I don't really feel like it's something that's talked about as much for staff you know we talk about spotting the signs and supporting children a lot but what about our colleagues and I had a colleague who has dyslexia we tried our best to support her make her feel supported and also not ashamed a lot of um People that I've spoken to that have a form of dyslexia often feel a lot of shame. And I can see that it's because, you know, as a teacher, you are expected to, well, get everything right, isn't it? It's like this perfectionism. But that includes things like reading, writing, spelling, punctuation, grammar, all the things that um, somebody with dyslexia is going to naturally struggle with, and so they feel ashamed. Um, I'll go into a little bit more detail later with some of your comments from people who have dyslexia and are educators, but lot of people don't like to admit it or even put it down on you know maybe uh, CPD or things like that um, to get help with because they they get really bad imposter syndrome and so they feel ashamed to admit it and that's that's not okay that's not okay. So we're going to shine a light on some um, first-hand experiences. I've got a blog here from someone who's been really open about their experience as being a dyslexic educator. I'm going to have as well one of my colleagues come and join us and tell us about her experience and I've been talking to you guys as well and just getting some real insight into your daily lives, what your challenges are and how we can support each other and where you guys can go to get maybe legal or official support. I've got a blog here it's called gift of being dyslexic teacher by Matthew Friday and it's really interesting I'll put this one in the episode description as well so you can go and read it yourself so Matthew kind of really lays out some of the challenges that he faces as a dyslexic teacher he says some of his challenges were remembering facts sequences and lists being easily distracted with teaching and having anxiety when being overloaded with instructions. So those are things to also be aware of if you are working with someone with dyslexia, just be aware of perhaps maybe things that might also affect their anxiety levels. And he also lists some of his coping strategies, which are using spell checkers and proofreaders for everything, writing everything in a notebook before I forget and become anxious and layering his lessons with prompts so that I can remember the sequence and the content. So there are some really good coping strategies here that I think, you know, might benefit others as well. Spell checkers and proofreaders are absolutely great. I use it for all of my documentation as well. And don't be afraid to ask your colleagues, you know, can you just check this, please? We don't mind. Um, with my colleague who had dyslexia, she would come to me if we were making a display or doing documentation. She would always give it to me and say, Shana, can you just read this for me? Absolutely. Of course I can. Not an issue. We're here to support each other. So I will happily read over your things if you feel like if, if it supports your your mental health and your anxiety, not a problem whatsoever. Layering my lessons with prompts is so is such a good coping strategy there because not only does it benefit you you've got a little um, piece on a presentation or on a um, notebook clip that reminds you of kind of what the slide is about or what that piece of work is about but it also helps the children as well there'll there'll be children in your class that they will really benefit by seeing that Um, and it's a really good strategy to use for everybody Now, he also lists some benefits for for being a dyslexic teacher. And there are absolutely loads. And I really wanted to include this because it's easy to uh, focus on the challenges and the difficulties and look at how to support them, which is equally important, absolutely. But there are also some really good things that come out of being a dyslexic teacher and, and why we need more dyslexic teachers in the education system. And he outlines why. He says it gives him valuable insights into the challenges students face with literacy. Absolutely. He knows where they're coming from and he can see their struggles because he's been through it. He has the motivation to pay particular attention to the children who find paying attention difficult. The ones who are daydreaming or distracted, things like that. He understands why and he's got that motivation because he might know some ways to help them. He's got the desire to devise special strategies and activities for students, which he can pass on to parents too. And this is such a unique perspective because he'll be able to try them himself and really honestly say to the parents, look, this worked for me, this didn't work for me, but try them. Here are some strategies. He also says that he has the impetus to educate parents and even deal with their own learning needs. Most of the dyslexic students he's taught have at least one parent who admits to having similar problems. And that's a real big barrier, isn't it? Because parents might see that their child may have a form of dyslexia or a learning need, but there's so much anxiety about how to support them. And they might even have a learning difficulty themselves. So to have a teacher, to have an educator who understands exactly what they're going through from a teacher's perspective but also from a student perspective as well. They can not only help the child with education and and their mental health and anxiety levels but they can support the parents too from a first-hand perspective. It says it also gives him the chance to show children that some of history's greatest artists, leaders and inventors were dyslexic and this helped him relieve some of the pressure and shame that not he only felt, but students feel, absolutely. I think it's really important for children to see that just because you have a form of dyslexia, it does not mean you're going to fail at whatever you do. And this is a prime example of why we need more dyslexic teachers in the profession and to be open about it, you know, and it gives children a role model. Just like with anything, you need a few adjustments here and there to make you the best that you can be And you can still do the job just like anybody else. And it's really, really, really important for our children to see that not only in their homes, uh, from their parents and their families and their carers, but in their education as well. Yes, there are teachers that have dyslexia and look at them go and that will be really good for children's self-esteem as well. He says having dyslexia also gives him the urge to make sure that his lessons have a visual element, which is useful for all learners, not just children with a form of dyslexia, but also children who English might not be their first language, maybe for children who have autism. um, Many different people could, could really benefit. And this is the one that I love the most. Um, He says it gives him the ability to prove that, like me, you can have dyslexia and still be a prolific reader and writer. Absolutely. It's a bit what I've said about before about being a role model. But it's to show that, yes, you might need some adjustments, you might need some support, but you can still read and write just as well as anybody else. And I think that's really important, not just for your self-esteem, but to show educators and children alike that, having a learning difficulty doesn't mean that you're going to fail. So I reached out to you guys on social media to see how many of us are affected or work with someone who is affected by a form of dyslexia and the results are quite telling. So I asked the question, do you have dyslexia and what challenges or support have you experienced as an earliest practitioner? 48% of you said yes, you do have dyslexia. 38% of you said no, but 14% of you said you work with someone who does. So combined, that's a massive 62% are affected by dyslexia in the workplace. That's a lot. And I know it's only a small group of people that we do our focus groups from, but even that is quite substantial. So I spoke to some people about um, their experiences and quite a few people got back to me. Julie Hollinshead said, My daughter has dyslexia, dyscalculia and dyspraxia, plus wears green glasses. Although I have not been diagnosed, it is hereditary. I believe I have difficulty in language and literacy." I'm of an age where I've never been tested. My younger brother is very articulate, but his spelling is atrocious. What I think in my head, I could write a book, but put a pen in my hand and I struggle to write it. My words are very CVC. As my daughter progressed through primary and secondary, I saw more of myself in her. She has been diagnosed. The generation before myself were called thick and given raffia baskets to weave at the end of a class. I had an inspirational role model. She is 80, three children, all dyslexic. She started as an NNEB and through hard work became a nursery teacher of two schools travelling on a bus. Now both schools have nurseries. She would have a dictionary next to her as she completed her observations. I aspire to be half as brilliant as she is. Julie, thank you so much for getting in touch. There's so much to unpack in what you said here. Firstly, let's go to the point of I am of an age where I have never been tested. This has been so true for a lot of you who have got in touch. It seems like a few decades ago, dyslexia just wasn't something that was on the radar and wasn't really picked up unless it was severe. And that is such a shame because a lot of you have got to adult age and your teachers now and you haven't even got a formal diagnosis to then get support with. And with a lot of things, you know, it does unfortunately mean that if you don't have a diagnosis, you're not likely to get official support, which is really, really sad. And I'm sure there's a generation of people who have dyslexia that feel like they've missed out and that's not okay. And it can also be quite traumatic to start the process as an adult to get a diagnosis. But as I said before, you know, there are those organisations that are there to support you. So I would encourage anybody who this speaks to 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 go and seek support from those organisations to go and get a diagnosis. And then you can get the support that you so rightfully need. And I'm so sorry that you haven't been able to have it yet. It's great to hear that you had a role model um, from a woman who has dyslexic children and she became a nursery teacher. And then she started something so amazing with having dyslexia herself. It's really good to hear that we still do have role models who do have dyslexia that are being celebrated. And we should always encourage more. Caroline Bloomfield says that she struggles a lot with phonics and sounds, they just don't make sense or come naturally to her. She ended up teaching SEN early years, and they were at a formal phonics level, so it actually worked out well for me. I think that's also a really important point to make, isn't it? It kind of also really does depend on where you're working and what strategies they use for the children, and how their education system runs. Just because... You might be struggling with a scheme of work in one school doesn't mean that you're not fit to be a teacher, not at all. It might just be that you need to find um, another education setting that works differently and it actually might work to your advances to have dyslexia. Amanda Griffiths says, We used to have a deputy who would come and check our observations that we used to write on post-its and she came to me once and said she was going to buy me a dictionary as I kept spelling the same word wrong. My response... A dictionary is no use. She couldn't grasp why till I explained I wouldn't look up a word that as far as I knew was correct. So I wouldn't check it. However, my dyslexia wasn't picked up in school or college. It has been whilst I am now doing my level four this last year. And I was sent layers and other supports to use. I actually think, Amanda, that's a really good point, isn't it? Um, There are a lot of misconceptions about dyslexia and that, oh, you know, just go and get a dictionary. Well, (laughs) That's not going to work, is it? Because if you don't know the word is spelled wrong, you're not going to go and look it up in a dictionary. I don't sit there with a dictionary making sure that I check every word because I believe that I've written it correctly so I'm really sorry that that's been your experience Amanda Um, and these are the kind of misconceptions that we need to shed a light on you know telling someone with a form of dyslexia to have a dictionary might not always be useful Jan Edwards says that writing is a little slow for her and she sometimes needs to check her spelling she prefers to read a book through first before reading it to the class but she's got used to making mistakes so she doesn't worry too much about accuracy and she concentrates on making it enjoyable for the children again a really good point a really lovely point because she's got used to making mistakes and that's true for all of us it doesn't matter does it we all make mistakes and we shouldn't be ashamed of them that's how we learn that's also what we tell our children to do be okay with your mistakes and be open about them don't be afraid of them so that also means we shouldn't be afraid if we have um, a form of dyslexia so it's really nice to see someone is able to concentrate on the format and the fun and the excitement of reading and not worry too much about the accuracy so as you can see here from the people that have got in contact there's been a range of different symptoms and challenges and difficulties just from the people that have spoken to me so It's not going to be the same for everyone. You know, you're going to have different challenges. You're going to have different experiences. And it's important to highlight that, that one person's experience of dyslexia is going to be very different from someone else's and that there is no one size fits all support. Um, I was speaking to a lady on social media about this and there are some things that I found really interesting that I didn't know was even out there. So I'm going to share it with you guys. But there are, you know, the resources that you can give to support people with dyslexia might be different coloured overlays um, that, we, you know, we give to children using a specific font to help the words stand out better. Um, Because sometimes words and letters might be blurry, things like that. But you can also get tinted glasses, which I didn't know about. So I was sharing with this lady that I wear glasses, but my glasses have got a bluish purple tint because I suffer quite badly from night blindness. Um, And, you know, when it's really quite bright in the sun as well, I I go quite blind. Uh, Things go really blurry. I get disorientated. And things like driving can potentially be quite dangerous if I don't have them. And that's just my eyes. That's not like a learning disability. But it's really cool to see that actually you can get overlays for your glasses too. And I think that's really important because overlays you're going to have to you know pack in a bag with you and swap things over on different documents to make things see but if they're already in your glasses everything is already overlaid for you and it just makes someone who's got dyslexia their life so much easier um so if you didn't know about that yeah if you need an overlay go and do some research into perhaps getting an overlay on your glasses if you wear them i think that's really really useful I've got here as well, a wonderful colleague called Kelly Harris, you might know her from being um, a marketer for Twinkle Parents. And we were having a chat the other day. And she was an earliest practitioner as well. But she also disclosed to me that she has dyslexia. And I really wanted her to come onto the episode to share her experience of training to be an educator, what it was like for her in early years, and also the challenges and the support that she received. So let's go straight to Kelly to hear of her experiences. So we've got the wonderful Kelly here today. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Kelly is um, one of the members of the parents team. And so you might have seen her on social media and also blowing up the newspapers. Apparently, Kelly, you're starting to to get famous in those newspapers. I know. Right.
1: Yeah, they are loving. Parents love the hacks and just people in general. love the hacks they either love them or they hate them
0: <laughs> well it's getting that conversation isn't it exactly. and that is what we are here for mm. so I'm so glad that you're able to join us thank you Kelly um so thanks for having me obviously our um episode is all about dyslexia mm-hmm. and we were just talking the other day because we we did a live together didn't we um for parents yeah and we were just talking and it actually turns out that you have dyslexia yeah. so I thought oh hang on this would be amazing if you wouldn't mind to come on share your story just to give a real insight into the challenges that people. You know, people with forms of dyslexia have, mm. especially in the teaching world and things like that. So, I just wanted to start off by asking you. Um, so, in terms of your diagnosis, what kind of, what was your journey to diagnosis? Wow, it was a journey as well.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I think you'll find that a lot of people of my generation have had similar experiences. Right. For me, um, I always struggled as a child with academics. Right. Um, But it was always difficult to know whether that was to do with um, having something like dyslexia or due to my environment and my circumstances. I am a child of um, two forces parents, so we Mm. uh, moved around a lot. I had a lot of different schools, so quite often I would, you know, do one topic at one school, move to another school Mm. and redo a topic and miss out. So there was elements of that, What you know, did that play a part? And, you know, things get missed when you move schools quite a lot as well. You mm. know, um, all the dots don't get joined together. Um, and when I settled in the UK from coming back from Germany, um, I started in year six. And it really showed then that I was having difficulty with, with the academic side of learning. And the whole 11 plus thing came up. And, you know, mm. I, I really wanted to be like my friends and take the test. But I do remember both my my mum and my teacher sort of preparing me, saying, you know, definitely go for it. But, you know, preparing me that I was basically going to fail. Because, <laughs> you know, looking back, there was no hope in hell that I was going to pass it. Um, and then my secondary school experience started. Um, and I have a thirst for learning in general, um, but I was aware that I was struggling. And there were certain aspects to learning that um, I felt so, so ashamed of. Um, and this comes down to what I now know um, to be a difficulty with my um, working memory. So the biggest right. aspect for me, for my dyslexia, is remembering things and and, and retaining yeah. things. Um, and actually, going back to year six, one of my strongest memories of learning and and that with dyslexia and actually masking I guess came from um my empathy towards the teacher so you know I recall Mr Dungate his name was coming over to me and Mm saying oh Kelly you're struggling on this question yeah okay I'll explain it to you don't you worry and he sat down and explained it okay do you get it Mm, no So then he would don't, don't, don't worry And I would explain it again And he'd explain it again And do you get it And I'm like no And then he'd like Oh okay And I could sense Even though he was Such a lovely teacher I, could, I wanted to take yes. away His pain Of, of trying mm. to teach me <laughs> if that makes sense so in the end and I think a lot of dyslexic people will um relate to this you go oh yeah yeah no I get it now thanks move on because you just want that experience to stop you just
0: want everybody to move on you know what it reminds me of you know when like someone you you ask someone their name Mm. you don't get the first time you're like what yeah, I say it again, and you and you're like, what? Yeah, and then you still don't get it, and you're like, I can't ask a third no. time. I'm just going to pretend. <laughs> like that is what you guys must be experiencing all the time.
1: I'm um, this all the time. My we had parents' evening when I was probably in around year nine, and and I remember my English teacher saying to my mum, I, I I really suspect that Kelly is dyslexic. Mm. So and I remember my mum going, okay, well that makes sense. But so what do we do? And mm. she basically said, I'm really sorry, but we can't afford to send. you know we don't send um children off for full assessments because they're really expensive and actually that is still the case now you'll find that lots of schools will um pay for dyslexic assessments that the tas or the teachers can do and implement at school but they are not a formal diagnosis they are basically there to be able to then prove that they need to go for an official assessment and i've actually taken them myself and unfortunately at the time my mum and dad had split up and my mum was on a uh, on a, a low wage so like she, uh, she couldn't afford for me to go and get the um diagnosis or assessment or whatever so i basically just muddled through i muddled through somehow i got triple science yeah. for some reason i did have a very good teacher to be fair and teachers do play a vital yes. role yeah um which we could probably discuss later but um yeah science and geography i got c's in but maths and english i got i think i got D, d's in yeah. which wasn't actually that bad considering no, no. um which I'll get onto later when I did my degree, I actually did a whole assessment when I went back through all my old books at secondary school and all my reports. Um, and I, I wept. I wept when I looked at my work because I, uh, taught, I've taught. taught in primary school now for the last sort of 18 years. Mm. And um, the writing was at the same level as my year twos, you know, and I'm in, you know, secondary school at this point. Right. You know, it screams dyslexia yeah. <laughs> now looking at it. But I couldn't be my own advocate at the time. And then what happened is I went um, I went and left the workplace because at school, the school age, leaving age at that time was 16. Mm-hmm. And I went and got a job. Okay, But I wanted to be an actress. <laughs> so, um, so I went to college and did that. And it was at college where they did automatic screening for everybody that signed up to to, um, college. It was literally, we were just put in a room with computers, you logged in, and I was, da, 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 I was flagged up. (laughs) And then what they would do is they actually had a a dyslexic or an SEND specialist that worked for the college who would do then work with you. Wow. However, at this point, I was 18 because I had a bit of a gap year. I was 18. And all my friends, friends were going down the pub. And then there was this, you know, lovely but old lady who was teaching me about grammar at a year two sort of level. Because actually, to be fair, that's where I was. Right. And um, I just didn't go. I just, I would yeah. rather be at my uh, in the pub because there was so much shame and I was so frustrated. And I felt, you know, I felt like I should know this at this age. And, um, and so I just sort of,
0: you yeah. know, went, no. I'm not going. Right, okay. So you've just touched on something there that I really wanted to talk about because when we spoke before and you were, te- you were talking about your teaching journey, something you said to me actually like, really struck me. And you said you were so scared to become a teacher because, and I quote, I'm not clever enough. Mm. And that absolutely got me. And I was like, no, right, okay, we need Kelly on here because... Oh. <laughs> like a lot of people with dyslexia Mm. will say that I can't be a teacher I'm not clever enough I've got dyslexia it's all about reading and writing and memory and all of this and those are the things I struggle with so I can't do it and unfortunately unfortunately the way our education
1: system is from top down it does give you that sense We, we in fact we we as teachers because of the top down approach do have to sort of enforce that to a certain degree because you know it is very assessment heavy I've had very difficult feelings of not feeling good enough from secondary school so you know you know I wasn't good enough for the 11 plus you know I wasn't good enough because I didn't pass my GCSEs you know I wasn't good enough because I didn't go to a grammar school and Mm. then you know I went into the education system and then it was oh I'm just a TA you know I'm just this um and so I when um, basically what did it for me was that my head teacher said to me like Kelly this is my last year here and this is are we're going to pay you to go out one day a week to study at university and there was another guy who also you know wasn't um, we, we both had a similar sort of outlook and we both had similar struggles with learning and so I thought you know what if he can do it why can't I and I and I went in, mm-hmm. and I was honest with the tutors, and that really helped. And said, "Look, I'm dyslexic. I find it really hard, mm. but I really um, want to do well." And 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 having one to one time with them at the end of class to clarify things really helped. And I ended up coming away with a first. And um, it wasn't a test based degree, so it wasn't you, there was no exams. Mm. It was presentations and writing. Now, the difference between writing at university and at school is that you can do it on a laptop and you can have tools such as Grammarly. You know, I did mm-hmm. a lot of learning through YouTube and then I was be able to tackle an, an article mm. that is quite complicated because I had a foundation, under, you know, of understanding. But it's taken me a long time to understand and find ways that can help me with my learning and that's the great thing about dyslexic um learners is that they you know there are negative connotations to it but actually there's so many great things you know problem solving and Mm. the ability to see connections um and how everything interconnects with each other and um you know there's so it was a very long journey, a very emotive journey, exhausting journey. And for me, luckily, it came out, you know, it came out with a very mm. positive um, ending. And, and now I am not at all ashamed to say I'm dyslexia. And it's the big thing that motivates me to stay in yeah. teaching to, to you know, whenever I'm, I, I, I cover in different classes, so the first thing I tell them, is about myself and I tell them I'm dyslexic and I make mistakes and that's okay because that's how I learn and you know there's no shame in it and the amount of kids that go oh I, I learned like that or I'm dyslexic and and it's just like yeah you know it's, it's not a bad thing
0: we work together on it you know. Yeah and I think it's really important for children um, to have themselves represented in their education mm. system you know one in ten people have dyslexia so to have one in ten teachers that are dyslexic it would be a great role model for those children and be like yes actually you can you can be a teacher you can be wherever you want to be just because you've got dyslexia doesn't mean that you shouldn't so I was gonna ask next how was your journey into actually training to be a teacher um so
1: it wasn't a I, I want to be a teacher I'm gonna go and do the course and that's it you know it started from being a TA and then it was to do the degree Um, Because I didn't have my GCSEs I had to first do an equivalent I got my first class degree Then I wanted to do teaching But you can't do teaching Unless you have full Maths, English and now science GCSEs So then I had to go On um, an evening uh, Course with the adult education And did my maths and English And passed those The next step would be to get your um, teacher's qualification. But I fell pregnant, so I decided that, you know, studying wouldn't be a good um, good thing to do during this precious time. However, um, I am basically t- teaching at the moment as an unqualified teacher within my school setting, so I am employed to teach. The other thing um, that also really held me back, and I probably would have got my qualification now if it wasn't for this, was the key skills tests, Oh, um, which yes. thankfully I have now found they have scrapped. Yeah, um, which is such a relief because I did practice ones, and the English one I was fine with. The math, I need to write down. Me, me too. No time for that. No. And you know, the thing is, with teaching, you, you know, you you know what you are going to be teaching. Yeah. So if it's an area that you know that you are not necessarily strong in you would go and do a bit of research before. You would right. go to Google. Exactly. You don't have to as a teacher, just like in society now when we've got right. calculators in our phones. Right, You don't have to be a walking encyclopedia, no. a walking calculator. And, um, you know, I, I, I've got a real bee in my bonnet about the need to have GCSE levels to work in a preschool, to work mm-hmm. in EYFS, because I fully support teachers having to pass a level at which they're going to be teaching yeah 100%. of course if you're teaching GCSEs, you need to be able to do it yourself that's right yeah but if you are teaching in a nursery setting or preschool setting or an EYFS or year mm-hmm. one you don't need that you will need to be able to pass the phonics test yes yeah you need to understand phonics but you don't need GCSEs and actually I quite often find that if you haven't got your GCSEs there's because there's some kind of learning difficulty there yeah. like dyslexia, but there's so many aspects to dyslexia, you know, yeah. that they are crying out for Absolutely. in EYFS yeah. and in nurseries. They yeah. don't need somebody that knows how to do pie, they no. need, to know, need someone who can do a, a mud pie, <laughs> you know? Yeah, <laughs> I am so quoting that, that is brilliant. That is brilliant. <laughs> um, and and it and it and I had a conversation with with a guy who owned a a, a nursery whilst I was dog walking on exactly the same thing. You know, he said it's so frustrating that he sees some amazing potential come in. But they haven't mm. got the GCSEs, and he has to turn them down, and it's just, it's just madness. I, I've proven over and over and over again. I did the equivalent. I did a college. I did the equivalent test. I did the degree. I retook the GCSEs, and then it's now it's the key skills test, yeah. and all of it was. I just felt like I was hurdle after hurdle being punished, and I'm like, I'm already
0: teaching, and I'm already mm. doing a storming job at it. Right, and it's more than just the learning disability, isn't it? It's about mental health as well. Mm. It's never, ever in isolation. It's, yes, yeah, you have this struggle, you have this challenge, but how that affects your mental health as well. Like you said how traumatic it was, even just going back into the classroom, revisiting all those things that you felt you struggled with at school, you were then suddenly back in there. Yeah. And, you know, that's a massive impact. And it, yeah. So far as you actually quit because of it, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, like yes of course we definitely need more i believe we need more support in the education system for dyslexic um practitioners in Mm. terms of the learning disability but also your mental health as well because Mm. that it made you quit you are not going to be the only one that has made that decision Mm. and like we've discussed before it's actually so bad there is such a lack of support that people aren't even going into the profession and that is for me such a red flag Mm. and like something needs to change Being an educator, how has dyslexia affected you teaching you being in the education system in good and bad ways? What are the positives and negatives having dyslexia in the education system? Um, so let's start with the
1: negatives because I like to end on a positive.
0: Yeah, the negatives
1: are things like the organization aspect of it, um, you know, the planning, um, trying to multitask because as you're aware teaching there's a lot of things yeah. that you have to multitask for example meetings and things like that so coming up with a way that suits you to organize that and organize yeah. your brain that can be a difficulty also a difficulty for some particularly if you're not as far advanced with your sort of acceptance as I am is just you know feeling inadequate and mm. that feeling of comparing yourself to other teachers and not feeling good enough and actually if you start talking to people everybody has their own insecurities in oh, some yeah. area and it does help mm. um and I think the biggest one for me the, the biggest disadvantage and negative has been the system in which um you are assessed to mm. be a good uh, to be able to become a teacher um and that that whole process um, luckily, it's getting better because the government are starting to do more and understand more uh, about dis- dyslexic learners and how how many of us there are, um, yeah. and also scrapping things like the key skills test and stuff like that. So they're kind of the negative sides, but the positive sides is that your brain is so wired for teaching and that connection with your students and that ability to understand those uh, disadvantaged which are let's face it the ones that need us the most yeah and understand the ability to um, support those and be able to get into their brain in a way that some others um, yeah. can't um yeah. and you know the positives are the creative side of things you know being able to um see links you know mm-hmm. like how can I link this math lesson into the next art lesson and and things like that and I just feel like in education in terms of teachers we need to see diversity we need yep. those clever people we need those creative people we need mm people that have got different types of brain so that we can all connect
0: at some point with a child right and I also think as well it's a really strong message to educational settings that do they provide a safe place Mm. where people do feel comfortable to be open about it you know yeah
1: and I would not have been in the position that I'm in now had I not had that teacher who believed in me and saw that I was a good teacher and that I needed to follow it
0: Right. And even, like, within the team as colleagues, like, just being open about making mistakes. Like, we all make mistakes. Even whether you have a learning disability or not, we're all human. We can't do everything perfectly. And I'll tell you a funny story here. This is going to make you laugh, right? So... I do not have dyslexia. I don't have a diagnosis, but I did make a pretty serious spelling mistake once. So one of the jobs as a teacher is you've got to update the website, right? With the curriculum, what you've been working on that half term, so and so. So I was doing, you know, I was updating the curriculum map on the website and it gets to maths. And I write that, you know, we're counting to 20. We're learning to add and take away. Uh, we're doing time, things like that. Uh, press the spell check button on word make sure it's all all right all good to go great publish okay a couple of days later the school business manager comes to me and she pulls me aside uh, cuz I'm the earliest leader so she speaks to me thinking it's someone from the team and she goes um shana have you checked the website and i was like no, what's wrong with it and she literally said to me um a parents just come to me and um the curriculum map for reception um whoever's written maths um they've forgotten to put the o in count <laughs> and I was horrified (laughs) and I was like but I spell checked it and everything why didn't it come up and she was like Shana it's because it's a word it wouldn't come up would it and I was horrified I was like oh my god I've just put a horrendous word on the website but the parent was so good like they didn't you know they weren't horrid about it they just quietly spoke to the school business manager and they silently took me aside and I was like I'll change it immediately I'm so sorry but you know, I laugh about it now, but I was mortified yeah. that I'd even done that.
1: And even as parents, I would say, you know, if you do spot things like that, where you know, in a parent email or on a notice sign, right, it's okay to bring it up because, yeah. yes, of course, we do want, um, you know, if kids are going to see it, to get have this, but do it in a respectful way. Yeah, look, just to let you know, you know, because otherwise, that can be really upsetting.
0: Yeah. There you go. Well, it's, it's been amazing. Um, I'm so glad that you've been able to speak to me. You've got your lovely daughter in the background who's clearly dying for your attention. I've taken you away. Okay, listeners, can't you can't see this now, but her dog has gone crazy. Through the bin. Uh, the bin is all over the
1: floor. I've got a handful of melting chocolate that my child gave to me midway through this podcast and it has melted. And my child has no clothes on. So this is real is, life. This is real
0: life. Exactly. No. <laughs> but thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak to me, despite, yeah, all of all of the things that you've got going on. And um, I know our listeners are really going to value your insight. So uh, thank you. And I'll, I'll let you get on to being mummy, shall I? <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Shana. You have a lovely day. So what can we do to support our colleagues who have dyslexia? Or if you have dyslexia yourself, where can you get support? Now, that's a really good question, because for me, I don't feel like it's common knowledge, especially in the education system, to actually get support and help as adults with dyslexia. So I did a little bit of research and I looked at the engageeducation.com blog called Supporting Teachers with Dyslexia and they outline a couple of things. So they start off by talking about legal assistance And they tell us to remember that if your dyslexia has a substantial and long term adverse effect on normal day to day activities, it is legally recognised as a disability. So your employer will be required to make any reasonable adjustments that help you do your job. Reasonable adjustments can include things like giving you more time for marking, templates for records and report writing, extra reading time, allowing for more verbal assessments and less written assessments, providing a laptop, technological assistance, and there are lots of word processing program tools such as text-to-speech programs, grammar correction, spell check, and even dyslexic-friendly fonts. These tools can help you with whatever symptoms of dyslexia you experience. Now, if this speaks to you and you feel like you do need support, it's always really helpful to go and speak to your nursery manager, your school head teacher, um, just to see what kind of legal support you can get. Engage Education also point out a few technological tools, which I think are really good. So I'll list these apps and websites for you now. Grammarly is a free writing app that uses AI intelligence to help people write with clarity using the correct grammar, spelling and tone. So you can go and check that one out. Something called a dyslexia, which is a typeface or font that was designed with the intention of mitigating some of the issues that dyslexics experience when reading. And actually, you can get the dyslexia browser as a plugin. So go and look that up, see if that might help. Audio books, such as those found on Audible, are a really good way to get through reading material without actually having to do any reading. And there's something called the Education Support Partnership. So if you need help securing the tools you need, the Education Support Partnership is there to help and that's to do with maybe legal assistance or advice regarding your rights at work and what you're entitled to. Or it could be there just to support your well-being because it can be quite overwhelming to talk about, to seek support for, and so the ESP is there to help with professional assistance and it's free. They also list a couple of groups and organisations if you would like um, more help. So there is the Association of Dyslexia Specialists in Higher Education, They've got a really helpful guide for teachers with dyslexia, um, including strategies to help you with spelling, marking and reports, reading, lesson planning and things like that. They also list the British Dyslexia Association. and They're available to provide dyslexia information, advice and services to people of all ages and it's related to anything to do with the dyslexia. Again, I'll put a link to this blog in the episode description as well, so that you can go and find the links to those support systems yourself. And I do think they're really worth checking out. So that was advice for people who have dyslexia and where they can go for support. But what about for the other nine in 10 people who perhaps work with someone who has dyslexia? What can you do to support them? There are a couple of practical things that you can do, just like we do with our children. You know, um, perhaps it's like... Colleagues might need certain overlays in different colours so that they can see documents clearer. Perhaps they need a specific font or font size to help them read documentation better. Perhaps they just need more time to write school reports, nursery reports, observations, things like that. Sometimes they might just need you to look over their work. And from speaking to a lot of people and getting their insight into their struggles i think the first thing that we can all do in any earlier setting in fact in any working environment is to ensure that we create a safe working environment that allows people to be open to make sure that no matter what people come in with, whether it's learning disabilities, whether it's mental health, whether it's something else, that we have an open communication system with our team members, so that it's okay to talk about, create a space to talk about these things openly. When we start to talk about things, that's when we start to learn. And to be able to create a safe space for dyslexic colleagues to say, look, I struggle with this, Um, can you help me, I think is a really good starting point. Especially as well, because dyslexia is such a spectrum disorder, it's not going to manifest in the same way for different colleagues. So it's always best to just ask and say, look, I know that you've got this diagnosis, um, but I know that it's a spectrum and it can affect people in different ways. What do you struggle with and how can I help you with that? I think it's really important to show that we care and to reach out and not wait for someone to quote unquote admit that they have a challenge and that they need support. It should be really the other way around. Create a space where we can openly talk about it and then also Just let them know that you care and that, hey, look, I'm here. If you need anything, just let me know. It's probably best never to assume that's not always helpful. And we could perhaps slip up and make mistakes by doing that. Um, So just be honest, be open and say, look, I actually don't really know much about dyslexia or what it looks like for you. Tell me the things that you struggle with, and let me know how I can help. I think with any learning difficulty as well, or just anything that we bring to work, because we must remember we are human. We can't leave. We can't leave everything at the door. Things do come in, and things do affect us. But I think the most important thing: there will always be a, an effect on mental health, and especially with dyslexia, um, with increased anxiety levels, it's only going to exasperate the situation. For example. A colleague might be really anxious about the end of the year because report writing season is coming up and they're a key worker. And so they've got X amount of reports to write. Just the mere thought of that for a person that has a form of dyslexia will will manifest anxiety and will cause anxiety. But then on the back of that, the anxiety will then affect the dyslexia and perhaps make report writing even more of a struggle before they've even started because their mental health is affected. So we really must be aware of our colleagues that their mental health will be affected as well. And yes, we can do practical things to help the learning need itself, but also what can we do to relieve their anxiety? Sometimes it's just a, hey, I get it. Mistakes happen. You've put a spelling mistake in that report. It's not the end of the world. Don't worry. Sometimes it's a look, I'll check over this for you. Don't worry. Sometimes it's a, you know what, actually, you need an extra 10 minutes just to read through them all again. That's fine. I'll take the kids outside. You go take those 10 minutes. And I know it sounds like really small things, but those small things make a really big difference. And we must always remember that our workload and our mental health are really important and do go hand in hand. So when we are supporting our colleagues with uh, the dyslexia itself, let's also remember to look after their mental health too. So that is the end of this week's episode all about dyslexia. I hope you have been inspired, encouraged, and also informed about um, different kinds of dyslexia, what it means and how we can help each other. And just to end on a really nice note, I'm going to list a few people who you might know that have dyslexia. Maggie Aderin-Pocock, the astronomer from the sky at night, Hollywood actor Orlando Bloom, Richard Branson, Tom Cruise, Leonardo da Vinci, Walt Disney himself, Jim Carrey, Albert Einstein, Sally Gardner, Whoopi Goldberg, a couple of presidents, John F. Kennedy, George Washington and George W. Bush, Kira Knightley, John Lennon, Jamie Oliver, Pablo Picasso, Steven Spielberg and Holly Willoughby. I could go on. The list is huge. But um, for those of you that have a form of dyslexia and you're listening to this episode, I hope to see your name on that list one day. So that's it from today's episode. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you really enjoyed it. If you would like to get involved or would like to know more, Come and find us on our social media sites. We have a Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and TikTok account. All of the details will be in the description. And whatever you're doing, I hope you have a great day today.